Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Greetings. Hallelujah. Ever, how's everybody doing today? If you would turn in your Bibles as we have the last few weeks to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to get into this. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be alive and to be a Christian. Can I have a little more if you could, man? Awesome. Today is part three in my new series that I've entitled The Armor of God. Amen. We're going to start reading again in verse 10. Hopefully by the time we're done with the series that you can almost recite this yourself because it is a powerful set of scriptures on spiritual warfare. So it goes. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand That's the key word this morning. Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. So we're not wrestling against other people, even though the devil would like to try to take us to that place. We are actually wrestling against uh, principalities and powers, spiritual places. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to, here it is again, withstand or stand in the evil day. Another version says, when the evil day comes, you will be able to stand. So here's the second time it uses the word stand. And having done all, guess what it says? To stand firm. Verse 14, guess what it says again? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And all circumstances, say all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Today I'm going to be talking about standing, standing, and how powerful that is. Let's pray if you would. Bow your heads with me. Father God, what an excellent opportunity for us to be in your house. What an awesome opportunity to worship you, to praise you, to connect our hearts with yours. Father, we would ask that your presence would be here, Father, in a tangible way, that you would manifest your presence in each life. That, Father, we would not be here just um, punching the time clock, but, God, something supernatural would take place in the hearts of each person in this place. Apart from you, God, we can do nothing, your word says. So apart from your spirit, very little, very little happens. And so we ask for your presence. We ask for the anointing of God in this house. Anoint your servant, anoint your word, anoint our hearts to receive. That we may be transformed, that we may be changed, that we may be armed for the battle that all of us face. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, and amen. In Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the act of standing firm as part of the arsenal that we have in spiritual warfare. Matter of fact, as I said already and you saw, he mentions it how many times? Four times in just a couple of verses. When it talks about standing, I want you to hear this, it implies the need for what? Strength, fortitude, endurance, and can I say this, long-suffering, Okay. The word stand, if you put that up, Nate, stand in that day and age when he was talking about the word stand, it was used in a military sense, 
had the idea of, get this, holding a critical position while under attack. Holding a critical position while under attack. Church, we're under attack. Church, you're under attack. Whether you realize it or not, I, I could ask you this morning, are you under attack? And you say, well, my life's pretty good. I'm telling you, sooner or later, you are under attack. You will be under attack. The Bible says, when the day of evil comes, and it comes for everybody, so it's holding a critical position while under attack. It's like a fortress that is under siege. I love that. Come on. When you're under attack, when your finances are under attack, when your marriage is under attack, your relationships, whatever it is, you are called to stand to hold your ground. That is the expectation or what Paul says you have the capacity to do. You can stand whether you think you can or not. See, can I want to tell you something this morning? You're stronger than you think you are. This is so true. As I was putting this message together so many times as I'm praying and thinking about the word that I'm going to preach and as I'm going and I'm typing up what I sense the Lord is saying to me, he, he jumped this, these next two sections. Just, it just exploded in my heart. He said, tell the church they're stronger than they think they are. Come on. What you've been through or what you're going through has crushed many others, but you're still here. Okay. Let's pray again. Father, we ask. No. Do you understand what you're going through or what you have been through has crushed many other people, but you're still here. Despite all that you've been through, and if you're married to somebody, look at them and say, you know, all that you put me through, I'm still here. I'm going to pronounce something over you. Ready? You crazy, strong, foolish, broken, awesome vessels of God. That's who we are. Every one of those. It just so happens that God delights to what? Use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. What that means is he likes to use the things that really can't take the credit. Everybody in this place, we all have a history where we know if it wasn't for God, whoa, where would we be apart from God? God loves to exalt and elevate the foolish things to do his work because he gets the credit, we can't, amen? So I look around and see a lot of foolish things in this church, come on. Now listen, you're more powerful than you know. I'm a firm believer in this. I could preach on this till the day I die, the same message over and over again. You have no concept what's inside of you. We think we do. We've been taught it. I've been teaching on the dunamis power of God. The same power that resurrected, that raised the dead body of Jesus is inside of you. But honest to goodness, if you really believe that, you wouldn't stop praying for people, sharing the good news, transforming the people around your life. But honestly, it's hard because we've had disappointment. There's times when things haven't come to pass like we thought they should. And then it's, it muffles us. It makes us stop doing what God has called us to do. You are more powerful than you can even dream. How many people here have ever experienced a, a spiritual attack, would you say? That you can say, literally, I think that was a spiritual attack. Raise your hand. Four people, awesome. The rest of you, man, clean classes. Right? All of us have, right? Why is he attacking you? Because you possess something that has the capacity to bring great destruction to his kingdom, if you know it, if you understand it. It's humbling, but it's awesome. You're more powerful, you have a more powerful gift than you have seen or walked in, come on. You are more powerful, you have a more powerful calling than you realize. You bring fear to the enemy. You bring fear to the enemy. I'm going to say it again. You bring fear. You have the capacity in your life, inside of you, to bring great destruction, again, to the kingdom of the devil, so he is afraid of you. He's afraid of what you could become. One can put a 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000. What can this group do? 
What can you do, anointed of the Holy Ghost, being obedient to the Holy Ghost, walking in the authority God has given you, in the calling he's given you, no matter if you like it, whether no one, no matter if no one else around you likes it, but you walking in that, can you imagine what you can do? Did you know that 12 disciples, 11 plus, I think, Paul, 12, changed the world. To this day, we are still seeking after God and experiencing the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ because 12 guys decided to believe in what Jesus said to them, that they were powerful, that the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost transformed them, and they began to operate in their giftings, be who God had called them to be. And they transformed, even today, 2,000 years later, it's growing in momentum. I look at you, and every one of you, I see it. Every one of you I see, I see a call on your life. I see something that burns passionately in your heart. Can you imagine if we were walking in that fully? How much this world would be transformed for the glory of God? How many people come to know Jesus? How many baby Christians that might be 50 years old in a matter of two or three years would be raised up and functioning at a high level in God because we decide we're going to walk in the calling God has for us, discipling. How many times have you ever been in a store and you feel the nudge that God says, you probably should go pray for that person, and you don't? You know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine if we had the confidence to pray for that person? Can you imagine if we had the confidence of God gives us just the word to go do what God calls us to do? Debating whether to say this because you're not supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, but I'm going to testify it. I was up at the mall shopping with my daughter Emmy to get her a homecoming dress. She's on the court. And we were up in JCPenney shopping and shopping and shopping and <laughs> shopping and shopping. We went through the same sections ten times because they were going to magically grow new shirts and stuff. This actually was Mindy and I. Emmy and her friend were gone. They were somewhere else. And we were shopping and shopping. And I went by an aisle and I saw a, a, a young girl and her mom and they were looking through dresses for for uh, you know for homecoming because all the schools and this is up in Horseheads and the Lord spoke to me and said I want you to give her some money and I sat there and I went I mean part of me wanted to but like the other part of me is like well you know Mindy I gotta buy and I'm spending money on my daughter and I'm just like you know guys you start calculating your head no one else does that you know what I'm talking about you're like okay well we've reached the threshold today we're not even getting something to eat you know we're just going home after this and so um, I, I'm like sitting there and I, I'm following my wife around which we do when we go we'll shop. And all of a sudden, they, they come walking, the mother and the daughter come walking right by me, like walking, going to go try on a couple dresses. And I'm like, okay. And I just pulled out some money, and I just handed it to her, and I said, actually, I said to her, I said, is this for the prom? I made a mistake. She goes, no homecoming. I said, I want to bless you and give you something towards that. And she was like, thank you so much. I'll never see her again. doesn't matter. I, play, I, I pray that, that that seed was something. Something happens out of it. I believe that. That's what I'm talking about. Just being obedient, doing things. And I didn't sit there and preach the gospel. I believe that, that that amount of money is going to preach the gospel. Somehow it's going to find root and grow. It's being obedient to what God tells you to do. Amen? Listen, there is no way that Jesus would have said, you've heard me preach this many times, it is better that I go to heaven so that the Holy Spirit comes unless he had some kind of cool plan to defeat the evil one. I've said this a hundred times, but how many, more, how many people here would prefer to have Jesus walking the earth right now? Wouldn't that be cool, right? But he says, no, I have to go because what I'm sending you, come on, is going to do something supernatural in you where you're going to begin to start acting like me. That's essentially what he was saying. And we know on Pentecost that happened, filled the disciples, and it's been filling people ever since.
So he said, it's better that I go. I don't think there's anybody here that would agree with that statement. But if we understand what he was saying, it changes everything. See, without the Holy Spirit, without being filled with the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit coming after his resurrection, after his death and resurrection, the church was powerless. You hear what I'm saying? They were powerless to do anything. How do I know? He says to Peter, he goes, Peter, Satan has come to me and said, I want to sift you. And I'm praying. I love this. Jesus didn't say, you're going to stand. He goes, I'm praying that you'll stand. Think about that. I pray, Peter, that you don't give in. And we know he partially did, right? But what happened? That guy, when Jesus was taken, uh, being beaten, and, and Peter followed along with John, and they were watching what was going on, and a, a young teenage girl confronted Peter about, oh, you're one of the disciples. What did he say? No, I'm not. He denied him three times, remember the rooster crows, and he goes off weeping and crying and depressed and discouraged. And what does he do? What everybody does when, does when, they, when they fall back into sin, they go back. He went back to fishing. He went back to what he knows. And then Jesus had to restore him after resurrection. I'm not going to get into that this morning, but I want you to hear something that's powerful. The fact is, that man, that a young teenage girl was able to come against and cause him to reject Christ, come on, after the Holy Spirit was the first one to give the whole first message, powerful message that led 3,000 people to the Lord. What was the difference between Peter pre-Pentecost and Peter after Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. You are a post-Peter. How are you acting? What are you doing with it? Do you agree with it? Do you understand it? Do you recognize it? Do you walk in it? Jesus' prayer would have been different. It would have been like, Peter, he wants to sift you. I pray that your faith remains. Now it's Peter, he wants to sift you. Good luck, devil. That should be what it is. You contain inside of you the capacity for mountain moving impact. This series, I, I love it because this series was going to be about the armor of God, which is is eventually going to be. But the whole time I'm planning this series, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk about the armor of God and God says, nope, I'm going to talk to them first before they put on the armor of God what they need to do first. Because the armor of God is really mostly defensive. They need to know who they are before they even venture to put on the armor of God or they're going to be destroyed. So this whole message has been, this series has been so far about you understanding what's inside of you and how powerful you are and how you can dramatically change your circumstances and you can stand when evil comes. You have the capacity inside of you for mountain-moving impact. I know some of you are like, oh, pastor, come on. Moving mountains? Okay, start with an anthill. Start with a mound of dirt. Start somewhere. Start. As Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 4, spiritual son, he said, continue. Listen, you know what this means? This is standing. This is standing. He say, continue. I can put stand in what you've learned and what you're convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. Stand in what you know. Some of you need to, come on, ready? Listen, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. Yes, I do. Ready? Some of you need to get up, shut up, and stand up. You need to stand on what you know. He's telling Timothy to stand firm on what he knows and what has been taught to be true. God is faithful or he's not. The next verse, Exodus 14, 13, Moses told his people, do not be afraid. Every time you need to deal with fear first because fear is the number one enemy to faith, right? It's the thing that will rock your world. You'll be fearful, and next thing you know, we'll be inviting all kinds of its brethren, fear, anxiety, depression, discouragement, all those things into your life. He addresses fear first. Moses told them, the people do not be afraid and then he what does he say stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the lord you will see the deliverance of the lord he said stand firm that doesn't mean the ground isn't going to rattle it doesn't mean that the ground isn't going to shake but what it means is you have the capacity even as the ground under your feet is moving you can still stand one of my favorite movies i like war movies 
One of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. Pretty tough movie to watch, but it's, pretty, it's, it's realistic of what happened on D-Day. It's about a group of American soldiers that are sent to find uh, this soldier who his other two brothers had been killed in combat, so they're going to take him out of combat to save him because they didn't want all three brothers to die. And so this group of soldiers went through all kinds of hell to reach this kid. And when they found him, he was in this city that was totally demolished, rubble everywhere. It was, it was just, it was awful. And instead of leaving, they decided to take their stand. And so they dug in amidst all the rubble. Now catch this. One of my favorite scenes, and it's one of the scenes that gets me going the most, is when they're sitting there waiting for the enemy to come as they're dug in strategically all over this, this blown up city. And they can hear the enemy tanks coming. If you watch it, you know what I'm talking about. They can hear it before they see it. And the next thing you know, the rubble next to them begins to vibrate and shake. And some of it begins to collapse around them. And the next thing you know, the enemy comes. I want to tell you, that's many times what it's like for us. In that situation, what's happening for many people in the church, because they don't understand who they are, they don't understand what they possess, when the rumbling starts, they run in terror. They run in fear. They bow. I don't know about you, but in that scene, I, I mean, I would have been tempted to go hightail it somewhere. Because they were outnumbered, see? They were outnumbered, outpowered, outgunned, all those things. But in God, we're not. Paul says, we are meant to stand firm. So I want to conclude this message by giving you five ways to help us stand against the attacks of the enemy. This is how we need to stand. How do we stand? I'm going to give you five ways. There's more than this, obviously. This is an exhaustive list. It's very simplistic in many ways, but I want to give them to you. The first one is be distasteful. Now, before you think I'm giving you permission to be rude, listen. If you could put the scripture up. This is important scripture. 1 Peter 5.8 says, The enemy prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He is constantly prowling, looking for somebody to eat, to devour, to overcome, to attack. He's looking for people that he can bring down, people he can discourage, people he can enter into your life through open doors and bring chaos. Come on. He's looking for someone, can I say it this way, that is tasty. Church, we need to make him sick to his stomach if he tries to bite us. Oh, follow me here. Come on. Too many Christians taste way too good to the devil. We need to remove ourselves from his menu. I'm going to tell you how you do it. Ready? How do you do that? By getting rid of offense. By getting rid of anger and bitterness and lusts and perversions. How do we do that? By surrendering ourselves to the Lord more. Repenting. Even daily, many times a day if we have to. See, when we make ourselves tasteful to the enemy is when we take on offense and bitterness and anger and lust and all those things. They're all open doors for him to come and create chaos in our lives. Some of us, come on, I know what this is. I've been here before. I've allowed those negative emotions and feelings to rule in our hearts way too long. We have things that are still sore to the touch that happened 5, 10, 20 years ago. They're still sore. They're still infected. And we've allowed those, those to rule our hearts and our minds for way too long. And then you wonder why he keeps attacking the same place over and over again. If the devil is hitting you in the same place over and over again, I think it's about time you wake up and realize, I better fortify that position. If you don't do any, listen, if you're continually tacked in the same place, maybe it's in your emotions, maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's in your finances, whatever it is, if you're constantly tacked in the same place over and over again, I'm telling you what you're doing is you're asking the devil what kind of seasoning he likes and you're bathing in it, in that area. 
The devil comes after me and tries to devour. I want him to get sick to his stomach and throw up. Spit me out. How do we do that? Filled with the Spirit. Just as the negative things, the fruit of the flesh, are tasteful to him, what's distasteful is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is the problem we have in the church. Don't tell me about your gifts. Don't tell me how anointed you are. Don't tell me about how blessed you are and your character is nil. That's happened too much in the church today. We make celebrities out of people. Without recognizing it's their character that counts. You can't be speaking one thing and then prophesying something else. Sorry. Now we know the Bible says the gifts are irrevocable. Which in other words, once he gives you a gift, you have a gift for the rest of your life. And you can operate in that. So you can have somebody committing adultery and still prophesying on the money. But that's not a prophecy I want to receive. Because you don't understand when someone ministers to you, they're not just ministering the Holy Spirit, they're ministering out of their character. That's why the Bible says, be careful who you allow to lay hands on you. Because there's a power of impartation. Some of you here sit there and complain about your life, but then I want to go back to you and say, what are you doing, first of all, in your life, number one? And number two, who are you hanging out? Who's laying hands on you? Go to the bar, hey man, how's it going? Hands on you. Just committed adultery on their wife. Talking about the person laying hands on him. Hands laying all over you. You wonder why you're struggling with evil thoughts or then who are you hanging out with? What are, you, what are you listening to? Are people sitting there complaining around you all the time? You want to know how you can become a good gossip? Hang out with people that gossip. You want to know how to become a negative thinker? Hang out with people that are negative thinkers. But you want to have faith? Hang out with people that have faith. Have people lay hands on you that have faith. So much power. There's transference. There's, there's an impartation. I, I, I want to be honest with you. There's people in this church that are blessed with the ability to make money. And if I'm in a season where I need to have money made in my life, guess what I do? I start rubbing shoulders with them. Because there is an anointing on them. But I want to warn you, please, everybody in this place, hear me. Be careful who you receive words from. And make sure the character lines up. People say this. Well, you can't judge me. You're exactly right. I can't judge you, and I can't judge your heart, but I can check out your fruit. I can be a fruit inspector. And if you got no fruit, a lot of people, they mess this up. They go like this. They say this. Please, you got to hear this. They say stuff like this. Well, you don't understand. I do this, this, and this. I make people pies. I mean, that's not fruit. That's works. Amen, bro. Listen, are you listening to me? That's works. You want to know what fruit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You can't make that stuff up. You can't, you can't make yourself love somebody. How do I know that? Because your heart always betrays you. Always. Always betrays you. Why? Because your mouth speaks what's in your heart. So the Holy Spirit, you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to have the Holy Spirit fruit inside of us. So we surround ourselves with those type of people. And when those people begin to minister to you, come on, there's an impartation that is godly, that will impact your life in a positive way. So be careful. I warn you again, be careful who lays hands on you. Be careful. Inspect their fruit. That was free of charge, somebody. Come on. I want to ask you a question before I go on to number two. Are you repulsive to the devil or are you savory? Number two, be knowledgeable or be wise. Now listen, when I say knowledgeable, I, listen, this is important you get this. I'm not talking about knowing the scriptures. We all know we need to know the scriptures. Some of us know them better than others. Listen, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is something different. Ready? Wise. Here it is. I'm talking about knowing where your weaknesses are, strengthening them. You know, it's like the old saying, if you're an alcoholic or deal with alcoholism, you don't go to bars thinking I'm going to have a Pepsi. I'm going to have a Coke because that Coke will end up having rum in it. I heard a story. I thought this was absolutely incredible. Incredible story. Just heard it the other day. A black pastor was talking about um, uh, uh, an evangelist friend of his, an older man that has been in ministry for 40, 50 years. 40, 50 years. Powerful man of God. Powerful man of God. Powerful man of God. Anointed. 
but he has a weakness, homosexuality. And he recognized that weakness. And so he got prayer for it and all these things, but he still was tempted with homosexuality. Same sex feeling. So guess what he did? He saw his weakness and said, I need to protect myself. Be knowledgeable of where you're weak. So what did he did? He hired five to six grandmothers that would travel with him wherever he went in the world. And he never did. Oh, would you just pray for me? That's good. This guy took it a step farther. He goes, you know what? I don't want to fall and destroy what God has done through me and the people I've touched. So I'm going to have these grandmas travel with me wherever I go around the world so there's no way I get myself in trouble. Wow. That's like, that's like crazy good. Be knowledgeable. Surround yourself with people who can stand in the gap in areas that you're weak. If you're weak in certain areas, find people that are strong in those areas and start hanging out with them. The more I live this life, the more I realize you cannot live alone. If you try to isolate yourself and live by yourself, you're going to die. I'm telling you, spiritually, you're going to die. You need to surround yourself with people that love you and care for you, that are going to pray with you, lift you up, sometimes spank you, sometimes discipline you, but still love you. In Exodus, Exodus number, or chapter 17, if you put that up, it says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Listen, Moses said to Joshua, pick some men and go and fight the Amalekites tomorrow. But what I will do is what? Stand on top of the hill holding the stick that God told me to carry. So Joshua did as Moses commanded him and went to fight the Amalekites. Listen, while Moses by himself went up on the hill. No. So important, you've got to get this. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the enemy began to win. When Moses' hands, what? Grew tired. Everybody here grows tired. Know your weaknesses. I love that Moses wasn't too arrogant or proud to go up on that hill by himself. He figured, I'm probably going to get tired and I need people to surround me. Church, where's your errands and hers? I don't like being, you know, I don't like showing people my messy part of my life. They already know what's there. Why? Because they got them. One thing, I remember when I first started pastoring and I started talking to people, I realized, one of my first things I realized as a pastor is, this is, ready? This is going to be brilliant. Ready? I was like, oh my gosh, everybody has problems. <laughs> no, because some people are really good, like putting on the act. Like they come to church and like, oh, praise the Lord. You know, they can raise their hands in the midst of hell, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I found out really quickly, oh my gosh, everybody has problems. And the second thought I have is I don't feel so bad. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it down for him, for him to sit on. And then Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other. And his hands, ready, remained steady. Can I even say this? For hours until sunset. Israel would have lost the battle if it wasn't for two friends. Secondly, God... Oh, you get nothing else, get this. God <laughs> put his plan in the hands of two friends. A supernatural occurrence was dependent upon two friends. You want to see God move in your life? Maybe you shouldn't be doing it alone. It was a supernatural event that relied on Moses' hands staying raised. And it would never have been done without people supporting him. Whether you like it or not, you need other people in your lives. You will not be able to do it alone. How many people does that stress out? Because you're naturally loners. Come on, I know. There's people that are like, oh man, does that mean I got to tell people how I feel? Yeah. Do you mean I got to be vulnerable? Yeah. Oh gosh. 
I have a wife. Isn't that enough? No. I have a husband. Isn't that? No. I have a therapist. No. This is the biggest one. I have Jesus. I love it. God says, you know what, Moses? As long as your hands stay up, Israelites are going to win the battle. But I guess what? Your hands are going to get tired, so you better take some people up there with you to help you out. Number three, I'm going to go real quick through this. Be intimidating. Very simple. Make yourself bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. I've said this before. I say it again. Some of the most powerful people in the history of the church was praying little, old, gray-haired grandmas. We're lacking that. You know what I realize as I get older? The importance of prayer. Yes, honey. You know what I realize as I get older? The importance of prayer. Can I, honest, I honestly say when you're younger, you really don't think about prayer too much because you rely too much on your own ingenuity. You kind of think you can do it. So you still pray, but you pray the casual prayers or as you're driving or whatever. Right before you fall, you know, fall asleep at night, you pray. But as you get older, you realize how much you really need him. And see, that's why I believe as you get older and older and more mature and older people begin to realize the importance of prayer and why it grips their heart and sometimes why they get frustrated when the younger generation doesn't see the same. I'm telling you, it's a learned thing. I really think it is. You, you go through some stuff. You go through, you hear me? You go through some stuff. You eventually realize you can't do it on your own. Be bigger inside than you are outside. Know who you are in Christ. Know the power of the Spirit inside you. Exalt and magnify God in, in your life and in your situations. And can I say this right now? Probably the biggest thing we can do is how do you make yourself bigger to, uh, to the enemy? Surrender. Surrender your life to him more and more and more and more and more. Do you know how many times I have to surrender my life? I surrendered my life this morning before coming over here. I surrendered my will. I surrendered my emotions. I surrendered my life again this morning. I have to do it every single day. Why? Because I have this thing called a will that's pretty strong, and it wants to take over and do what I want to do. Humans have this trait. It's called being stubborn. We have this trait, <laughs> I'm not going to look over here. We have this trait called being stubborn, where we think we can do it just as good. Now, we don't verbalize that, and a lot of times we don't think that, but every time we do it on our own, that's basically what we're saying. We're saying, God, we can do it better than you. You know what surrendering means? Surrender means everything in your life, your family, your marriage, your children, your job, your finances. I've always joked about that song, but I love it. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Jesus, take the wheel. Give it back. Jesus, take give it back. Take it, take it, take it. Or if you do give it to him, you're like a Garmin sitting next to him, giving him the direction. Surrender. Number four, I'm almost done. Play hard to get. Now catch this. This is important you get this. Play hard to get. You know what I mean by playing hard to get? Everybody in this place is going to fall. Everybody. No one's perfect. As much passion, as much Bible reading you've done, how many times you prayed and worship, you're eventually going to trip and fall. Come on, somebody. You're like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to be amen and I'm going to fall? Yeah, you're going to fall. But I want to tell you, how do you play hard to get? Don't stay down. Get right back up. Get right back up. Surprise him. When he gives you a sucker punch, get right back up. Surprise him. Surprise him. You will sin. Repent immediately and get going. You will slip, but get right back up and start running the race again. Wear him out trying to keep you down. I want him to get to the point in my life and your life where he thinks we're a lost cause of ever ever pinning us. I've watched many wrestling matches in my life where somebody gets somebody in a cradle and they're, they're done. Slap the mat, it's over. But you know what that wrestler on the bottom does? He starts spinning and kicking and going rocking back and forth. And if he has enough willpower and enough strength and he's not willing to give up, he will break that grip of his opponent and get back to his feet. But I've watched other wrestlers get in that and they just quit. And it's over. If you feel like the enemy's got you in a cradle, start kicking and screaming. I don't care what it takes. Do not give up. 
I want, you to th- I want him to think that you're a lost cause, that he's never going to be able to get your shoulders to the mat. Squirm. <laughs> Nothing more than years ago, I've told this again many times. Years ago, I was pr- praying to the Lord. This is probably 15 years, be- 15 years ago before I even pastored. And I was praying to the Lord, and I was saying, Lord, you know, use me, use my life. And he said this statement to me. When I said he said this statement, I got this very strong impression. And what it was is he started talking to me about pastoring. And I remember thinking, first of all, no way I don't want to do it because pastoring's tough, okay? It is. It's a tough job. You know, it's hard when you get emotionally involved with 100 people. That's, you know, it's hard enough just getting emotionally involved with your family in some ways you live and die. And so I was praying there, and I was, he just kind of spoke to me and said, I, uh, you know, started showing me he wanted me to be a pastor and some other things. And I responded to him with this. <laughs> That's funny. It ain't going to ever happen. I didn't say it because I didn't think it, that I, you know, like, not because I didn't want to, but because of my life. I want you to hear this. I started arguing with God because he was trying to tell me something I was going to do that I was no way able to do because I had too much sin in my life. And so I began to argue and say, God, I think you have it messed up. I think you got it messed up. You're talking to the wrong person. You're probably one house down. You're on the wrong block. You can't do this. You can't do what you want to do through me because you don't know my heart. Can we be blatantly honest this morning? You don't know what I've done, God. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know. You don't understand, God. I'm thinking, God doesn't know. (laughs) This was my argument. You don't understand how I fall continually over and over in these certain areas. And it's so frustrating. You want to use me, God? You've got the wrong person. He kept talking to me. And I get more and more. I started getting angry. God, are you listening to me? And I'll never forget, in a calm, sweet voice, he just spoke in my heart. He goes, you don't understand. When I look at you, I see see you through the blood of Jesus Christ. I see you perfected. I see the potential of what you can be through the power of his resurrection in you and in your life. And I realized in that moment that my sin, I was way too sin conscious and my sin did not determine who I was. It was Christ's death and resurrection determined who I was. And can I tell you, when I became less sin conscious and more grace conscious, more what he did, I began to sin less. I began, those things that had a grip on me began to to lose their hold on me because all of a sudden I empowered God to empower my life with his love and his mercy because I began to realize in that moment I was trying to do it on my own. How many people can join me and say, oh, that's a mess. But when I surrendered to God and let him start working through me, I still fell. Can I say something to you? Do you think for one minute that Jesus didn't know how ridiculous you're going to be? He wouldn't have said his best, the son. His son was sent because he knew how ridiculous our sin was going to be. Quit elevating your sin in your life and start elevating the power of God in your life and watch that sin lose its power. You know, instead of magnifying the Lord, we magnify our sins, our weaknesses. Magnify the Lord with me. No, we're magnifying our weaknesses. Now, I'm not saying to sin. I'm not saying that I'm giving you permission to sin. It's like Paul said, that's ridiculous. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power over sin, to be free from it. And from that moment on, hear this, from that moment on, I took some sucker punches. I took some Mike Tyson punches to the face, to the nose, and I was knocked flat on my back many times. But you want to know something? Where before I'd spend two and three weeks wallowing in it and moping in it and getting upset and saying, here I go again, I'm never going to become anything for God, I immediately got back up and said, let's go. He was like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> the angels of heaven have joined us. <laughs> yeah, I do actually, no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last one. Ready? Last one, and this is the best one. Ready? Be unpredictable. 
This is how you stand, church. Get these. Be unpredictable. Ready? The verse, put it up. Be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does the devil rule? The, rule, the devil rules through lying, deceit, treachery, through the kingdoms of this world. Sometimes we get so shocked by what's happening in this world, and we forget that it rule, it's being ruled by the kingdom of darkness. It's being ruled by the father of lies, is what he's called. The devil knows no other kingdom than darkness. He doesn't understand any other kingdom than darkness. That's how he rules. That's how he reigns. That's how he wants you to live according to the rules of this world. But the Bible says be no longer conformed or attached or connected or living by the rules of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, listen. This is what he doesn't understand. When we align ourselves with God's kingdom, it causes him great confusion. Anybody hear me? Because he doesn't understand God's kingdom. He doesn't understand that you love your enemies. In his kingdom, you hate your enemies. You get back at them. In his kingdom, you have road rage. And you drive somebody off the road because they cut you off. You get out of a car and shoot them in the head and kill them because they cut you off on a road. See how ridiculous that sounds? That's the kingdom of darkness. So when you begin to love your enemies, when you start to align yourself with the kingdom of God, can I tell you, he doesn't understand that. Be unpredictable. Ready? Listen. He doesn't understand when you praise God even when you're empty. Can I prophesy to someone this morning and tell you there's going to be times when you're not riding on top of the mountaintop. You're going to feel empty. But if you can muster praise in that moment, you bring chaos to the demonic. He doesn't understand how you can... It's cause and effect for him. It's cause and effect. Remember Job? He goes, I'm a, let me mess with Job and we'll see if he praises you. Let me mess with Job's family and let me see if he praises you. See, he thinks that... If he messes with things, makes things dark in your life, steals things from you, makes things unfair, that accordingly you should respond like his kingdom and get angry and bitter on all those things. That's why it's so important we keep that out of our hearts. So when you are, in, come on, if you're in a place, ha, 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 if you're in a place where he's messed with you and you're in a place of loss and you can still praise the Lord, he doesn't understand. It makes no sense. How about when you pray when you're tired? How about you give when you're broke? How about you walk in victory? And laugh even when you're feeling defeated. Come on. How about when you have joy when you're about ready to cry? How about you forgive when you have every right to hate? And when you choose to love even when your heart is broken? doesn't make sense to him. Can I tell you what it does? It makes you unpredictable. Can I even say this? Hard to corral. Can I say this? You become an erratic target where he can't, come on, hone in on you. He can't focus his, uh, his, his scope on you. He can't get a good shot at you because you are acting erratically according to his kingdom. So when he steals from you or tries to steal from you, when he comes against you and attacks you and your family and your health and your finances, and if you don't respond according to the way he expects you to respond, he doesn't understand. Can I tell you what that means? The last scripture. You know what this is? All that I'm saying right now is this. Submit yourself to God. And in all those things I just said, you are resisting the devil and he becomes so confused that he, what? Flee. Praise when it doesn't make sense. Guess what you just did? You submitted to God. You didn't submit to your will. You didn't submit to your emotions. You didn't submit to your situation. You didn't submit to another person. You submitted yourself to God. And in that, you stood firm. You resisted the devil. And he hightails it out of it. When you love, when your heart is broken, 
You submitted to God. What is submitting to God? Submitting to God is saying, God, everything you say in your word, everything you want in my life, I'll do it. And the two big ones, what? Is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as you. So submit to God when we worship, when we pray, when we don't feel like it, when we give, when we don't have anything to give, when we love, when we have feels like we have no love to give, when we do all these things that seem so out of character for where we are. That is exactly what's happening. We're submitting ourselves to God. He will flee from your life. I'm telling you, I guarantee you he will because he will not understand. It's always cause and effect. Close with this. He thought he could kill Jesus and end the movement. If I kill the the son of God, this thing's going to end. What an idiot. He played right into the hands. Plan. Hangs on that tree and dies a brutal death. The Bible says that he was beaten so much, so hard, that you couldn't even tell he was a man. I'll let you discern that one. Because he was probably naked as he was being beaten. So he got beaten so bad you could not even tell he was a Severe punishment. Hangs on a cross, dies. For three days, hell had a party, thinking they had stopped the greatest move ever. What he, was, what he failed to understand is God had it all. Death was swallowed up by... Come on. Death, where is you? Exactly what happened. Fell into the plans of God. Jesus was resurrected. And we're the rest of the story. Resist the devil, he'll flee. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.